So glad you joined us for church. Um, this is a quilt that was made by Pamela Greenleaf, and it was made for me, uh, and has the fruit of the Spirit on the back of it, and has doves on the front of it. We're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit today. And uh, so when I'm laying there on the couch flipping channels, she has me being reminded of the fruit of the Spirit, because I would always quote the fruit of the Spirit and skip one. So she made sure that I wouldn't miss anymore. So I wanted to thank her. And uh, it really keeps with the theory from Colossians 3. Let me hand you these. In Colossians 3, it talks about being clothed with the character of Christ and taking off and putting on. So when I lay there with that and click the channel, I'd like to think that, okay, well, it reminds me to put on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we are the people of God as the church. And for 4,000 years, God has had a people that he's called his own. The promise to Abraham began the people of God, and that promise uh, had a tied with it the expectation that they would represent God among people. The Israelites, from their very core, they had a promise that said, you were supposed to be a blessing. You were to go and be a blessing in a way that the world would know me and the world would understand who I am. That was God's plan. And for 4,000 years, uh, we have not always done a great job of representing God. There are plenty of times in both Israelite and church history once Christ came, the church began, and that was the people of God, and there was an expectation that we would have the character of Christ in the church. But for all of us who have been part of the church and grown up in the church, we know that we fall desperately short. All of us that have had Christian fathers and mothers know that we fall desperately short, all of us. And yet God gives us an expectation that we would live supernatural lives, that we would have supernatural power through the Holy Spirit that would bring about the character of Christ. So just as all of us could testify who are believers for some length of time that there's still a long way to go for all of us. We still lack the character of Christ in lots of ways. I would like to think that all of us could also testify that we've seen God take ground in all of these areas as he produces this fruit in us. As we continue our series on the fruit of the, on the, the Holy Spirit, we've seen that in ways we settle for a lesser relationship with the Holy Spirit when Andy preached and Mark encouraged us to live alive in a way that, that would shine in the world around us. And now we're looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and asking the question, what would it look like if we lived this life supernaturally? Not just on our power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. What would a church look like that was filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you seen one like that? What's a home look like? What are parents? And today on Father's Day, what does it mean to be a good, good father? What are the characteristics 
Well, God describes them for us in Galatians 5, and we are looking specifically at two verses, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where we see these fruit laid out for us. And I'm going to follow an outline that, uh, that very loosely was inspired by John Stott in his book on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it doesn't fit perfectly, but it'll give us a chance to highlight different qualities for us and relationships. But I want you to know that in this passage, we see God telling us that our relationships are going to be radically changed if the Spirit is powerful, alive in us. That by the Spirit, our relationships will drastically change, both with, uh, with God, with others, and with ourselves. So the passage reads this way, Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I love the last phrase. We'll begin with that, I guess. Against, there, against such things there is no law. I take that to mean that no one has ever said these are bad. Ever. I don't care what group or what family that you come from. If you have more of this, it's a good thing. There isn't any country that has said, we'd like less gentleness among our people, please. There isn't any family that said, I'd like my children to have less self-control. We are going to make rules that say love is out of bounds for this group. We only want hate. If this is what's accomplished through God in us, no one will be displeased. Love, joy, and peace highlight our relationship with God. Love, joy, and peace highlighting our relationship with God. Now, all of these nine fruits could be marked by our relationship with God in and our relationship with God to Him and what we receive from God. But I'm just going to highlight that relationship in these first three, love, joy, and peace. The first thing I want you to know about this fruit that God is producing, the love, joy, and the peace and the rest, is that it's a singular fruit. He doesn't say pick fruits and you're going to grab this one and this one and this one. When the Holy Spirit is alive in us, He is going to increase all of these. Now, if you're like me, there are certain ones that you're like, ouch, I got a long way to go on that one. I'm not very strong in patience sometimes. Self-control, can we strike that one from the list? Gentleness, well, let's not, let's not even go there right now. Love, joy, and peace, highlighting our relationship with God. God is producing love in us. This is a work that God does. In Philippians 2.13, it says that it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's encouraging. It's encouraging to know that it is God who is working behind the scenes to produce this fruit in you. Then in Romans 8, 14 through 16, you'll see that on the screen. That's a really helpful one. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Love is the primary 
attribute that comes from God to us. And when God fills our hearts with love and when God fills us with love for others, we are changed because we understand that this adoption was his choice. He chose us. He knew us. He saw all of our flaws. He saw all of our failures. He saw how we mess up. And yet he still calls us his children. He still says that he loves us. Some of the most prominent moments that I've had in my relationship with God are when I rediscover this truth. When I'm feeling bad about myself, when I'm feeling like a failure, when I'm feeling like I'll never measure up, and then I rediscover that God is the one who chose me and loves me. And it's in the Spirit that we cry out, Papa, Abba, Father. The dad that we trust. And I know for some, we had fathers that it's hard for us to think about God as a father. And for all of us, our fathers don't measure up. Every one one of us doesn't have a father like God. But when we understand who God is and that he is a father that always loves and never lets us down, the spirit comes alive in us and solidifies this adoption and helps us understand that we are his children, the loved children of God. There was a moment in my relationship, I was working out with Rick the other week, last week, or hanging out at his house, I can't remember when I told him the story, but there was a moment in my relationship with Jeannie where she, I was in high school, and she learned who I really was. I told her. I told her the worst things I could think about myself, and she still chose to love me. That was mind-blowing for me. It was radical. It, was, it changed me. It changed our relationship. There is a great moment when you understand that God loves you now. He loves you for who you are. He loves you as you are. He loves you because He is love. This love, agape, is a love by choice, not by chance. It's different than philos. So the Greek word agape is speaking about a love where he chooses to be faithful even when we're faithless. He chooses to be kind even when we're unkind. He chooses to be gracious even when we aren't gracious. Philos is friendship. It's, It's trading. It's I'll be your friend if you'll be my friend. It's a great word. I love philos, but agape is the word that we're talking about here. That we are called to love because God loved us. And the fruit of the Spirit in us is love. We not only are loved by God, but we love God in return. God is producing, miraculously, love in us. God is producing joy in us. Psalms, um, sorry, I don't have that one in front of me. Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Joy is the promised morning, even when there's weeping now. James 1, 2 says, To count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of all kinds. Why? Why, when we face difficulty, can we have joy? And what is joy? What is it the Spirit produces for us? Joy isn't fickle like happiness is. 
Joy is from God. It's serene and still and confident. It's knowing that God is good so that when hard times come, that God will ultimately produce goodness. Joy is what carried Christ in the middle of being persecuted on the way to the cross. He promised his disciples a joy that wouldn't end. There is a joy that doesn't look like, yippee, I'm so glad things are hard right now. There's a joy that comes by the Spirit of God that says, I will rest in the confidence I have that my Father loves me and that He's good and that He will turn the morning into joy. God produces for us love and joy and our relationship with God is marked by both of those. In Christ, we love God. In Christ, we have joy that we share in His sufferings and that one day we'll glorify His name because we went through those sufferings with Him. Peace, the next one. Peace is that quietness of spirit. Shalom is the word, the Hebrew word. It doesn't just speak of quiet waters. It speaks of wholeness, completeness, tranquility of soul. It speaks of a restored relationship with God. Peace with God through faith and peace with others, and peace with ourselves. Something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. This peace in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 says, For He Himself is our peace. Christ Himself is our peace. That means when we are being torn apart and we're in relationships that are struggling and they're broken around us and we have broken relationships with family and broken relationships with friends, and what do we do with that? Christ himself is our peace and being with Christ. He is the one who is both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between the ones that we have hostility towards by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. In this passage, we see all three people that I'm talking about represented. It's our relationship with God that's affected by peace because of Christ. It's our relationship with each other that is transformed by the peace of Christ. And it's the relationship with ourselves. We have peace within ourselves and about our story. We can, we can rest. One of those most prominent moments for me was one night feeling really poorly about myself and going out and praying and not being able to weep for my sins and, and feeling like I just have let God down and then getting back home, taking off my shoes and while taking off my shoes, feeling God tell me I'm pleased with you. In my heart, the Holy Spirit giving me peace and joy and love And I went from wanting to cry to beaming and then crying for joy. God, by His Holy Spirit, produces in our hearts love, joy, and peace. He gives us shalom with ourselves, with others, and with Himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Love, joy, and peace, highlighting our relationship with God. Patience, kindness, and goodness, highlighting our relationship with others. Now, relationship with others, I'm sure that the moment that you became a believer in Christ, that got really easy, right? Relationships with others. The reality is that this is the playing field where we see our relationship with God honed. It's in church. It's with others. Forgiveness isn't hard. It's miraculous. Love isn't hard. It's miraculous. Patience, kindness, and goodness flowing from you in the face of when people treat you with the opposite would take a miracle. The Holy Spirit is providing that fruit for you. What is patience, kindness, and goodness? Well, patience uh, has been said to me many times, be careful if you pray for it. Patience is usually brought to us, perseverance, patience, through difficulty, through stillness and difficulty, through waiting. I had a friend who was driving his family, I won't name him, he was driving his family to Florida, and on the trip, everything was going wrong. Car breaking down, flat tire. One thing after the next seemed to be prohibiting them from getting to their goal. And finally, my friend looked into his, to the back seat where his kids were sitting and said, I don't know which one of you needs to learn patience, but get out. <laughs> my friend told me the story later, and he understood that he was just saying it was him, right? We all need to work on patience. And even while God is the source of fruit, as we look at how we interact with each other, there is a part that we play in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by God, by the Holy Spirit, but we know from Scripture, um, Ephesians 2, 14 and 16, Ephesians 4.30, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we can grieve the Spirit, we can quench the Spirit. Go ahead and put that up there. Ephesians 2, again, looks at our relationship with others. For He Himself is our peace. He made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So this is what God has done by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two. That's speaking of the church. So making peace, one more, one more slide, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What happens when we have hostility towards each other? The scriptures tell us that we play a part in this, that we grieve the Spirit or we can quench the Spirit, and yet we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Look at Ephesians 5.18 with me. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And interestingly enough, he compares the two. Why does he compare the two? Because we know what somebody looks like when they're drunk. If they're drunk enough, there's signs that are clear to us that we know that they are under the influence of alcohol. 
The same way that we should know when someone is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There should be these miraculous pieces in place. And as we interact with each other, what makes church miraculous? When we come together and see these things that we lack and surrender that to God. He's telling us the fruit of the Holy Spirit in anticipation that we're going to see that we lack them and we're going to have to take off those things that are of the flesh and put on the things that are of the Spirit. You're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to be gentle. You're going to have to be kind. You're going to have to be gracious. You're going to have to love. If you want to be in the Spirit, and what quenches the Spirit? When we choose to hold our anger. When we choose not to forgive, when we choose to hate. And for 4,000 years, God's children have chosen to not listen to God. I've got a lot of power tools in my garage. Most of them aren't any good if I don't plug them in. When I didn't have power, I actually tried with a screw gun to turn a screw. Better to have a screwdriver. The Christian life cannot be lived apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. We can produce trades. We can love those who love us. We can forgive those who forgive us. But that's not the Christian mandate. The Christian mandate is to love and forgive those who don't love us and don't forgive us. As we look at our relationship with each other, I want you to know that we play a part in this. God is producing patience in us. In Psalm 37, 7a, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. This is the position of God's people. It's waiting for God to act. If you say, I'm in a frustrating relationship and I don't know how to respond and I don't know how to act, okay, That's good. Wait patiently for God. That's where patience begins. It's not waiting patiently for the other person to change. It's waiting patiently for me to change. For God to change my heart. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. In Romans 5, 3-5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is a waiting. There are difficulties that happen. Almost invariably, a kid who is at youth camp and gets turned towards Jesus Christ and is excited and at camp feels like this is what a slice of heaven looks like. Everybody's getting along and everybody's excited. And boy, if we just, do we have to go home? Yeah, you got to go home. And by the way, if you stayed there at camp, it would get bad too. And what happens when you get home? Your little brother kicks you in the shins. Now live out your Christian life. Now tell me what you believe. And yet, year after year, I see people transformed by the Spirit, whether they're young or old, and they choose in the face of tribulations and trials, in the face of sufferings, to endure and to produce character by the power of the Holy Spirit in them. 
Don't you know that when you're going through difficulties and you have difficult relationships around you, it is an invitation to a deeper relationship with God? He's just saying, come, let me produce this in you. And just like last week, I'm preaching to myself first. I am a father, a grandfather, a pastor, a friend who needs the power of the Holy Spirit desperately. Otherwise, I'm a mess. Patience, in many ways, means not choosing vengeance, but waiting, just like God did for us until the cross or until we believed. God has been so patient with us. And he calls us to be patient with each other. Kindness Kindness is one of the mandates from Scripture in Micah 6.8. It says at the end, the conclusion of Micah, what's the main thing that we should get from this book and really from God's Word? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Kindness are simple acts that we can give towards each other. It's a look that we give to each other. These eyes have not always been kind eyes. But God is kind. And God is kind towards us when we come to Him. Kindness is acting for the welfare of those taxing your patience. I like that definition probably the most. What father with children hasn't had to be kind. Acting for the welfare of those who are trying your patience. It's a sweetness of disposition. It's choosing to wash the dishes. It's choosing to help. It's seeing people around you and understanding that they're going through things It's very small. Kindness can be very small, but kindness can be huge. Do you know that everyone in this room is carrying a weight that you don't know? Do you know that everyone in this room is struggling in ways that you don't understand, that I don't understand? Kindness is helping someone a little bit and taking some of their load. It can be done with a hug. It can be done with a prayer. It's simple. And yet, how many of us, me included, have said, I'm tired. What about me? I don't feel like being kind right now. I want to make that person pay. I've been kind long enough. It's time for anger. I'm going to bring anger into the equation because that'll get something done. Patience, kindness, and then goodness. God is producing goodness in us. In Galatians 6.10 it says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Doing good to everyone. 
I think the last 15, 16 months have been a prime opportunity for Christians to do good. How'd we do? There are lots of opportunities in the last 15 or 16 months for us to be patient, to be kind, and to be good. Did we look through that lens? Did I look through that lens? What would be the good thing for someone else? Goodness is wanting and acting on the best for others. This is really hard. It's to a degree, putting our personal interest to the side and putting someone else's interest first. God is good. We sang it. He's a good, good father. Why is he good? What is good? Well, he defines good, and his goodness led to the cross. His goodness said, I don't want you stuck in this sin. I don't want you left. It is the goodness and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, and it is the goodness of God that causes him to wait, causes him to die, causes him to suffer, and causes him to come back for us. It is the desire of God that all people would come to know him. That's what the scriptures say. And yet, just like He doesn't make anyone believe in Him. He doesn't make anyone choose to be filled with the Spirit. To some degree, if we as Christians are not filled with the Spirit and we're not presenting full of the Spirit, then we have chosen to not go through this with God. Goodness. God is producing that in us as we highlight our relationships with others. Now let's look at our relationship with ourselves. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, all of these we should be producing by the power of God for all three of these relationships, but it's in the context of these three relationships that we see our faith lived out, where we see the rub when we have anger and envy and unbridled passions that produce things in us that we know are sin, it doesn't mean that we're not Christian. It means that we are invited into a deeper relationship with God and we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should be clothed with the Holy Spirit. When you consider our relationship with ourselves, there are some in the Christian faith that have talked at length about how we shouldn't think much of ourselves. In fact, I've heard this often. It's kind of, I call it worm theology. I suck theology. I'm awful. I can't do anything good. If anything was produced good, it was God. Okay, well, there's some truth in that, but there's also a whole lot of falseness in it. We were created by God. Just as we are to love others, we are to love ourselves. It's the second greatest commandment. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The others is to love others, how? As yourselves. So if you're supposed to love others, you're also supposed to love yourself. 
And I would argue the way you're talking about yourself is probably not how you're talking about somebody else, or at least you shouldn't be. So you shouldn't be talking about yourself that way. We are told to love our neighbors as ourselves. God is producing these qualities in us also to be balm for ourselves in our hearts. The first is faithfulness. What is faithfulness? The Greek word is pistis, and it's used first for faith, our faith in God, and it's by faith that we're saved. It's by faith that we stand. That's what we looked at last week. But this is one step further. It's talking about our faithfulness. God is faithful. That's why we put our faith in Him. But as God's faithfulness now shines in and through us, we can become faithful. I was undone by my sister's and uncle's divorce on the eve of asking Jeannie to marry me. Who can make a promise that will last a lifetime? I said out loud. How can I say to this girl who I want to marry, I'll stay true to the promise for the rest of my life? And it was this understanding that it was God that would produce faithfulness in me that said, okay, God can do this. And Jeannie and I decided that we would build our marriage on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ would be the center of our marriage and faithfulness would flow from that and these qualities would flow from that. And God has been true to his word. Faithfulness means you're someone who can be trusted. It means you're someone that keeps their commitments. It means that you don't leave, you stay. It doesn't, you know, I've heard lots of people say the vows at the altar, and some of them are pretty weak. They're not promising much. I'll hang with you as long as I like you, basically. But we can't do parenting that way, can we? And I'm not saying that there aren't really good reasons for divorce and that divorce isn't, there aren't right times for that. There are right times for divorce. I'm just speaking of what God's there to produce in us if we're willing to receive it. He's producing faithfulness in us and it changes the way that we're fathers, dads. It changes the way that we're husbands. It changes the way that we're wives. It changes the way that we're children. It changes the way that we're friends. God is producing faithfulness in us, but it also changes in our own hearts that we can be true to. How many promises to ourselves have we broken when we knew the right thing would be to to read the Word or to eat better or to exercise or to not go out to the bar or to do... I don't know what it is that you're convinced you shouldn't be doing, but you continue to do. But faithfulness looks like keeping your promises to yourself. Faithfulness means taking active, being an active participant in growing up. God is the parent, and the parent can do what the parent can do, but the kid has to do their own homework. There's a part in this where we have to be faithful. And God's producing that in us as we join Him in becoming faithful. 
Am I faithful? Well, I'm becoming more faithful by the power of God. I still see lots of room for growth, but isn't that what we're supposed to do is grow? Remember last week, the reason God doesn't fix everything at once is because he wants us in relationship with him. He wants us to go through this with him. I can't imagine being a husband, a father, a friend, a pastor without God's help. I can't imagine being faithful without his faithfulness first. Gentleness. Gentleness is meekness. It has to do with humility. In Ephesians 4, 2, it says, Be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. The verse I took was Proverbs 15, 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. From God, we can have a soft word. We can have a gentle word. Can we as Christians, and this is the mark of Christian gentleness, can we go into an angry conversation and calm the storms with gentle words? Can we have gentleness in our hearts towards ourselves? There have been seasons in the church where some felt like I will become more holy if I beat myself, if I sit on a pole, or if I hide by myself in a cave. And I would argue that God's calling us to be gentle with ourselves and others. Not condoning sin, but forgiving and coming back. A soft answer in your own heart is often what's required. I think usually the one beating us up the most is ourselves. I know I think I'm, I believe I'm toughest on myself. And yet the Spirit of God is creating this meekness in us. Well, finally, self-control. Um, as a guy who is uh, ADD, not a type A personality, not a number one on the Enneagram. I'm a number two. Self-control has always been a problem. I'm always looking out the window and thinking about something else and yeah, just like that. <laughs> Squirrel. Self-control has not been the easiest one for me. But self-control is so much more than just doing what you should be doing when you should be doing it. Self-control has to do with taking captive your thoughts. Self-control is when I'm driving and getting angry. And I'm not talking about other drivers. I'm talking about how conversations play in my mind. And the things I imagine I might say to that person. Self-control is stopping that and thinking better of people. Being gracious towards people. And again, being gracious towards myself. Self-control is being able to throw, you know, put, put barriers on your computer if your computer's a problem or your phone's a problem. Give your wife the password or give somebody else the password. That's self-control. 
Self-control is taking an active role in getting control of your actions and not just letting actions happen to you and you continue down a path that you know is wrong. Self-control says, no, I won't do that anymore. Self-control will leave a conversation where two people are belittling somebody else. If you can't enter into it and say a nice word, then I'm going to leave. I've seen people do it. I applaud it. Self-control is choosing to do what is good and right ahead of time and then being able to follow through instead of, I started this direction in the morning and by lunchtime I was off a completely different direction, spiritually speaking. Jeannie and I have been dieting now for three months and, uh, you know, not perfect self-control. But it's a whole lot easier having somebody that's doing it with you. So we're doing it together. I've lost 35 pounds in three months. Yeah. I thank my wife, you know. And God's in that control. Like we can choose health spiritually, physically, emotionally. I see a counselor. I don't know if you know that or not. Why? Because I choose health. Does it fit into my schedule always? No. Self-control is to be able to say at the beginning of the year, I think it would be really good if I did these things. Self-control does them. How are we doing? Well, if you'd have asked me three months earlier, I had just gained 35 pounds in COVID. I had spent my time sitting on a couch, kind of discouraged, eating food, and I was at the, maybe not the highest weight of my life, but I was certainly in the worst shape of my life. So it's pretty bad if I just tell you my victories. Self-control in Christ What does that look like as a church? What does that look like how we treat God? It means that we will intentionally live our lives for God, with others, and with ourselves in a God-honoring fashion. That's what self-control will produce. Self-control in Christ, he did not deter from his plan of going to the cross. He knew it wasn't time yet. He followed God's plan by the Spirit perfectly. And that's our mandate. To live this life in Christ, for Christ, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we do, like Christ, we will have Christ-like love, Christ-like joy, Christ-like peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, and Christ-like faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God has given his children the Holy Spirit. And such a powerful gift was that that he said, it's a good thing that I'm leaving because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. What does a church look like that's filled with the Holy Spirit? What does a man or a woman or a child look like that's filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Well, they just told us. It's the character of Christ. It means that when people come into our community, we will love them like Christ would. We will encourage them like Christ would. Some might feel like this list is weakness. Well, if you can call Christ weak, then it's weakness. Going into beatings and forgiving those who accused him wrongly. Loving them. Gentle words from the cross for his mom, for his friends, for his enemies. I suppose if you think that's weakness, then I think it's the highest strength of all. He wasn't a bully. He's love. And he calls us to be his children. He's adopted us into his family. By faith. As we continue our series on, this whole, on the Holy Spirit, this week, I want you to be challenged to rethink about what, think what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you to ask yourself, what are the relationships that I'm failing in that God is inviting me to walk more closely with Him in? I don't want to challenge you to not go through this life underachieving in your relationship with God, others, and yourself. Don't you know we can live, we can flourish, and we can do things that have eternal value and not settle? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive me, for, forgive us for living well beneath what you've called us to be. There are so many ways that Christ as an example has shown us how we should be and yet we make excuses and justify living well beneath what you've called us to be. Forgive us. Thank you that Jesus is a high priest who sympathizes with us and our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Thank you that he knows what it is to be human and he knows what it is to suffer and he knows what it is to be challenged. And he knows what it looks like when we fail because he watched us fail. Thank you for your patience with us and your compassion towards us. I ask that you would forgive us and as we repent, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit and do a new work in us. May we rise up and be children of God that are pleasing to you and show the world what it is to love like Christ loved. In Jesus' name, amen.